Hello, I'm Kate Cox, and today I'm joined by Dr. John Sexton, the current president of New York University. Dr. Sexton has held the position of president since 2002, and in that time has transformed the university into a global network university. He has been involved in setting up 10 international academic centres, including the recent addition of an NYU Abu Dhabi campus. Previously, he was Dean of the NYU School of Law, one of the USA's top five law schools, and until 2008, also served as Chairman of the Board of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. Dr. Sexton's own higher education took place at Fordham University, where he obtained a BA in History, an MA in Comparative Religion, and a PhD in the History of American Religion. He holds a JD from Harvard Law School, where he also worked for the Harvard Law Review. He was law clerk to the Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court, Warren Berger, and is a former president of the Association of American Law Schools. He has co-authored the most widely used legal textbook in the United States called Civil Procedure, Cases and Materials, and his many other books and articles include reflections on the nature of higher education and the challenges currently facing universities. Dr. Sexton continues to teach on the undergraduate program in New York and has also begun an ambitious fundraising program to increase the university's endowment through the campaign for NYU. John holds honorary degrees from several universities, including Fordham University and the Catholic University Leuven, and is also a Chevalier de la Légion d'Honneur of France. He is awarded an honorary Doctor of Laws today. Welcome, John, to the University of Warwick, and congratulations on receiving your honorary degree. Can you start by telling me what receiving this award actually means to you? It's a very, very moving day. I've, I've respected uh, Vice Chancellor Nigel Thrift as, as a forward thinker about higher education, and I've respected this university, which is very much in its spirit and its substance like NYU, and which is reaching out beyond the boundaries of tradition while maintaining the strength of tradition. I see this place as, as one of the leading universities and the first vanguard, really, of what universities tomorrow will be. And it's a great honor, therefore. More, I realize, because of what NYU is than what I am, uh, to become twinned with it and to become a, a formal member of the family. In a recent interview, I heard you discussing the fact that about 85 organizations are more than 500 years old and things like that include the Vatican, Parliament, but the majority of those organizations are actually universities. Right. 70 of the 85 are universities and it's a great testament to the core and essence of what a university is. What makes us human really is the extraordinary gift of thought and spirit and universities uh, at their essence are about the advancement generation to generation, and the advancement in the boundaries of thought. So I think that we've been given humanity's primary job to uh, increase the scope of learning, to increase uh, its presence in people's lives, and to teach us uh, why we're here and how we should be here. And for that reason, I think that the spirit of the university as core in essence is indomitable and is illustrated by that number that uh, very few institutions are around today. Of course, neither NYU nor Warwick were around 500 years ago, but we capture that same spirit and kind of lean forward with the advancement of knowledge. 
all universities are facing challenges, both cultural and economic. You've recently opened a new campus in Abu Dhabi. Is that the sort of way forward, you think, reaching out past parochial sort of boundaries? Well, you have to distinguish two different things. There's what universities will be, and I think that universities will be more and more in their structure uh, operating beyond boundaries. Thought has always operated beyond boundaries. The disciplines have always operated upon boundaries. What's happened, of course, in recent generations and very, very exponentially in the current generation is that the flow of talent and creativity and people that carry talent and creativity has begun to operate upon uh, across boundaries as well. So you can't gate in ideas, you can't gate in people anymore. Uh, and I think the universities of tomorrow, the lead universities at least, will be incarnated in their structure beyond boundaries because their content, both uh, in terms of that with which they deal, thought, and the people with which they deal, faculty, students, and staff, will operate beyond boundaries. That having been said, the issue of the financing of higher education is distinct from that, it seems. Operating beyond boundaries is a necessary imperative for those who care about thought in universities. Financing uh, universities and colleges, financing higher education generally, and broadening those who can benefit from it is a matter of public will. And what we've seen in recent years, both in the United States and the UK, is the loss of the sense of higher education as a public good. You've seen the privatization of higher education. You've seen it very much in my country uh, going back to 1980 uh, and uh, the moving away from the, the, the great notion that animated my country in the years after World War II, most notably in the GI Bill of Rights when every GI was given a college education, full cost. And then in my state, New York State, where if you, you did reasonably well on a competitive exam, you got your higher education full cost. We've moved away from that in my country to where now it's seen more as a private good. That's the crisis in the financing of higher education is the fact that uh, the public through its surrogates, its actors, its political actors has, uh, has lost sight of the importance of planting the seed of knowledge. Like the old African parable, the, the truly noble person plants a tree under which others will sit. In our immediate gratification society where everything has to be justified by a quarter-to-quarter -quarter return, uh, we've moved away from that much to our disadvantage. That's quite a separate issue in my mind that we have to address and address quickly or else uh, we're going to find ourselves uh, shortchanging our children and our grandchildren. Well, that's certainly food for thought. But for today's graduates, is there any advice that you would like to give them as they sort of take on their future? You know, my daughter uh, just graduated from college uh, in the United States. And when she was a, a junior, she won a very prestigious internship. And, and she realized that if she did well in the internship, she'd get a job. And if she did well in a job in about five years, she'd be kind of the unit head and then maybe her salary would break above the poverty line. And she said, you know, I want to be an independent woman. Am I making a mistake? And she said, please answer as my practical dad, not as my follow your passions dad. And uh, my answer to her uh, was, Katie, this is your practical dad speaking, colon, follow your passions. Uh, it certainly has been the story of my life. In some ways, I sacrificed my own 
college education and even my doctoral education on the altar of my passions, which were teaching. But as I look back on what's now a 50-year career in teaching, the years of which I'm proudest were the years that people were viewing as uh, messing up the plan. And I wouldn't be here today if I hadn't followed my passions. And I've lived a very joyful, and I, I, I'm, I'm able to say I've lived a useful life uh, because I, I did that. So my first advice would be follow your passions. Well, we're very, certainly very pleased that you messed up your plan because <laughs> you're here with us today. So thank you very much for your time thank today. You. And congratulations again on receiving your honorary degree. Thank you. Appreciate it.